Welcome to Stop and Talk, a podcast about connection and building a more vibrant region together through creativity, health, and community. This is your host, Grant Oliphant, the CEO of the Conrad Prebis Foundation. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, I'm delighted to welcome Sid Vivek, President and CEO of Junior Achievement of San Diego County. Junior Achievement is sometimes abbreviated as JA, in much the same way that the YMCA is sometimes abbreviated as the Y, and you will hear me use both of those acronyms during this interview. Sid has held that role as President and CEO of Junior Achievement after coming from the YMCA uh, since 2019. If you're not familiar with Junior Achievement San Diego, it has been serving our county for more than 70 years and is holistically focused on economic empowerment, especially in low to moderate communities. But that 70-year history is not what we're here to talk about in this uh, interview. We're going to be talking about the ways in which Junior Achievement is working to evolve its mission and help our community meet its most pressing challenges around connecting the workforce uh, of the future with the opportunities that exist in our own community to fill jobs that we desperately need to fill. SID is a part of the ecosystem working to provide the access and capital to ensure all our youth enjoy an economically secure future. Let's sit and talk with SID. All right. So welcome, Sid. It's so great to have you here. It's good to be here, Grant. Yeah, I, I, I've been looking forward to this conversation, and I just want to start by asking you what is most exciting for you right now in your work. Uh, there's a lot of things, but they all revolve really around one theme, and it's, it's really how do we empower young people to be ready for their future? And specifically, that's around career, um, and that's around their economic resiliency, as we would say. And so I spend uh, almost every waking moment thinking about what are the ways, the programs, the partners, the opportunities that we can bring to our young people that help them see themselves in, in, a, in an often chaotic and, and confusing world. Now, what people know JA for traditionally is BizTown. And you've talked to me about how that's a great thing and a challenge. So explain what you mean by that. Yeah. And tell people what BizTown is. Yeah, it is a unique, um, only one in the state of California, a a mini city that we've developed with uh, 20 plus real businesses, uh, brands and names that you would know well locally, like Illumina and SDG&E and uh, NBC7 and Jack in the Box. Uh, And it's all run by students. It's all run by fifth graders. And what's most exciting is not simply the simulation that underpins that city, but it's the curriculum that these young people, in some cases, eight to 10 weeks worth of curriculum in the classroom that they learn about debits and credits and business loans and what it is to run a team meeting and what it is to pay people. And then they come to the city, this little mini city, uh, tucked away in Mission Valley, again, the only one in the state of California, and 22,000 students run that city uh, over the course of a, a year. And what do, they, what, do you, what do you hope they walk away with when they're, when they're leaving? 
frankly, I hope they leave with more questions than answers. Um, as, as fifth graders, oftentimes we assume that our young people are not ready for certain information. Oh, you're, you're too young. Mm. And I have found quite the opposite. I think when it's cognitively appropriate, our young people are hungry for knowledge. And in fact, um, when done in, a, in an experiential way, these young people understand how it applies when they leave. So when young people leave our facility, when they go through our programs, because it's not just a facility, it's a mm-hmm. curriculum, when they go through our programs, I hope they have a better sense of the world around them. And, and frankly, I hope they have a better sense of where they fit in that world. Yeah, so we're going to talk most of the time about that and the challenges facing kids today, young people getting a sense of what their futures look like and the unique role that you and your partners play and how you're evolving the model for what junior achievement can be. But before we get to any of that, I do want to dwell for a moment on you and talk about, because I think, it's, I think it's relevant to understanding how you're trying to lead this organization, challenge the status quo. So you came into this role as CEO of Junior Achievement in San Diego. How? What was the path for you here? Well, I don't. I won't go all the way back to when I was born. Yeah, don't in go to kindergarten in, in, in 1979. <laughs> but I will. I will. I will start with. I was. I came to San Diego about 15 years ago, and I joined the the YMCA of San Diego County, um, working really in, in marketing and fundraising, but with a background in community development um, and and policy, education policy specifically. And over the time at, at, at the Y, I spent a lot more time in our communities working with young people, uh, frankly, who look like me. Uh, my parents immigrated here actually in the late 50s, early 60s. And a lot of the career pathways that I have, uh, the path that I have taken and the roles that I have taken w- were not really roles that were ever familiar to my parents. They mm-hmm. couldn't help me get to this place where I am now, frankly, because they weren't uh, sure that this is was a thing that, that I could make a living doing. And I think that was really important. So the opportunity when it came up to come to JA to help young people with exactly that, see themselves and sometimes in, in roles that their parents or family don't know about, and in some cases some roles that don't even exist right now. The opportunity to help young people do that, which is really what JA does, w- was too much to pass up. And the reason I, one reason I asked you that question is just because I think it's always interesting to know how, how people find their way to the missions that they're pursuing. But it's also because the why, uh, where you worked, is also one of your partners. But the why isn't the why that you were working with at the time. You're working with a partner there who is rethinking what the why is all about you're rethinking what the role of junior achievement is all about. Tell us a little bit about that. Why, why, why come in to organizations that are very successful um, or were very successful and want to change them? Well, you know, I I would start with JA has been around in San Diego for 70 years and nationally Mm -hmm. for a hundred and the world looked different 70 and 100 years ago than it does now. Yeah. So while the organizational mission has not changed, how we uh, deliver on that mission and who we deliver with, I think has to change. Um, and, and as our communities evolve and as the challenges that face our community uh, evolves or changes, I, I think it's critical for community-based organizations to change with it. And 
Um, I will tell you one example is JA has historically been school-based. And while school districts remain our biggest partners, we are now finding, um, as we've discussed, partners like Promises to Kids and Just in Time and The Why, where we realize what we do is applies outside of the classroom. And that's one way where we think we can reach more young people uh, in a more impactful way in some cases uh, than we were currently doing. You actually... In, in a conversation you and I had recently, used the term, I think, that you're shifting from that old model to being community-based organizations. So what does that mean? Um, I think it is not only um, difficult, but necessary. And, and I say that because it's, in some ways, our model was always as a partner of school districts. We didn't deliver programs. We delivered um really unique experiences and volunteer corporate partners and we delivered curriculum that we handed in some ways to the school and supported in their delivery in the last five years we've hired on staff and started to directly deliver program and it's not just us there's jays around the country that are working on this because we realized there was a need and we had a unique skill set um, a unique curriculum that we could best leverage. So in some cases, school partners make a lot of sense. In some cases, we make the sense to deliver. Mm -hmm. And an example of that is we've taken one of our popular programs, uh, BizTown, and now we deliver it on Saturdays. And we find ourselves filling up our building on Saturdays from families that are coming directly to us, not through their school, not through a community partner, but directly to us. Um, our staff deliver. Um, on two different Saturdays, and we're finding a lot of interest in that because this is uh, close to 250,000 students in the county. We can only fit close to 30 in our building at one time, in, in one year. Yeah. So there's a lot more folks to serve. You know, I think about the, you, you mentioned earlier the, a, a few organizations, but I think about Just in Time as one, uh, Promises to Kids. So you're doing outreach through partners like that to specific populations and those kids um, in just in times case foster children same for promises to kids but they're not the only uh, group that you're reaching out to why is it why do you think it's important to target specific populations of kids for what you're doing uh, because i don't i don't think a one size fits all works mm -hmm. our, our lived experiences are different our challenges are different. Our traumas are different. Our, our goals in some cases are different. We, we were starting in different places. And I think we have to acknowledge that. So when we work with young people who may have aged out of the foster care system, their needs are different than perhaps uh, a young person who uh, didn't have that experience. Mm. So we want to be cognizant of that. We want, frankly, our volunteers and our corporate partners to be representative um, when we do that, we are intentional when we bring uh, mentors in place that they understand and are familiar with, whether it's through lived experience or, or their own experiences previously. Mm -hmm. um, so when we work with those populations, it's intentional because it's a chance to meet young people where they are because we think that's actually going to, the lessons we're teaching will resonate the most as opposed to uh, kind of an across the board approach. You're a dad. I am. And has the work you're doing at Junior Achievement affected your parenting in any way? Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe good and bad. But um, <laughs> um, I, I'm on my kids about what they want to be when they grow up a lot more. Yeah. But I think it's made me uh, realize 
where it is easy as a parent to say, I know best, our young people have a lot to offer. And in many ways, it has pushed me to show more grace for my kids Mm. than I probably otherwise would have. When I see that just like them, there are other young people who are extremely hungry for experience and knowledge uh, and love and, uh, my kids are no different, and and so I think in a lot of ways when I spend a lot of time with young people of all ages, um, as young as 10 and as old as 25, 26, and uh, I think it's um, – uh, they might not say it, but I hope that it has is, it is <laughs> allowed me to show more grace to my own children. Yeah, that's that's such a great answer, and I, I think about allowing grace to your kids, to our kids, at a time – when so much is in flux, feels like just the right reaction. And I want to talk now a little bit about that time that we're in and why the work you're doing feels so relevant in the context of that. So if I can briefly set the stage, I would say that what we're seeing in our work at Conrad Prebus is a a dynamic in society where society is struggling and a community like San Diego is struggling to connect kids with a sense of purpose and knowledge about how to pursue it and to fill jobs that desperately need to be filled to help the economy go. Actually, this is one of, in my opinion, one of the greatest long-term threats to San Diego is the development of that future workforce that we need for the community to be successful. And we're not doing a good job of plugging the kids who are already here into that equation in a way that they can be successful in it. From a child's perspective or a young person's perspective, what they're encountering is a dizzying array of choices in a context of continuous change. Very different from when, as you said, when Junior Achievement was first created either in San Diego or in the United States. Um, We've come a long way and part of the way in which we've come a long way is that there is this dizzying array of choices. How in the world does your organization help kids get ready to navigate that world? So one, I, I, we don't do it alone, uh, and I, I don't think anyone does it alone. Um, and I think we are a part of an ecosystem, uh, I think a growing one, uh, especially as research and, and experience from around the country is, is showing. Um, we're a part of a growing ecosystem of public and private and NGO partners who are delivering not just experience and curriculum, but social capital. And I think that's a really important piece to this because what often happens is when we talk about an outflow of young people because they can't afford to be here, it's interesting because there are people who are taking the jobs that do allow them to be here. It's just not our young people taking them. Um, And so uh, generally speaking, So in a lot of ways, how do we ensure those young people not only see themselves in those jobs, but in some way are connected to people that look like them in those jobs so that they know it's kind of the, uh, you got to see it to be it. And how do we help young people see themselves in the, in this tremendous innovation economy that, that we have created that, uh, as, as the, our partners at the regional EDC would say, are going to create 20,000 new jobs that we're going to need to fill by 2030. Mm-hmm. To me, we we try to create the opportunities for those young people to have those experiences early. 
I don't want to wait till college. I, when you're in middle school or in high school, I want you to go see what it is to work at Vertex Pharmaceuticals or at Illumina or at Cox Communications or in any number of other industries because there are good paying jobs out there that are open. And in many ways, we, what we need is the connective tissue that ensures the young people who want those jobs mm-hmm. know that they're there, not just awareness, but they understand and have the opportunity to access them. And that's where the social capital comes. I think we would all agree uh, our networks become a, a big part of who we are and in many ways how we uh, achieve success in life. Um, and so our goal is how do we create that for young people earlier so they see it earlier and then they can kind of dive in um, because they're hungry. Uh, a great, I heard a, a great educator, one of our partners uh, say, and many have said it before, Talent is equally dispersed, but opportunity is not. I love that. Yes, it's and and absolutely true. Uh, one of the one of the people we've interviewed for this podcast is David Miyashiro from Cajon Valley, superintendent of Cajon Valley School District, and of course he's the uh, person behind, uh, along with the school district, the World of Work program, which starts talking to kids about their connections with careers in kindergarten. You're uh, working with young people as young as fifth grade. It's not the world I grew up in. We didn't talk about what careers look like at that stage. Why is it important now for us to be talking to young people so early about what they might do with their lives when they can hardly imagine what they're going to do past lunch? Yeah, well, number one, the way in which young people consume information has changed in the last two years, let alone the last 25 or 50. So we don't have to talk about it, but they're Googling it. And the fact is, um, the information exists. It's our job to help sift through, I think. Uh, I see it as, as our opportunity to sift through all that is out there. And, and frankly, whether we want to believe it or not, they're talking about it. They are talking about what they want to be. They are talking about how much money they want to make, um, and, and which would align back to how are you going to make that money and what are the skill sets and competencies needed for that job that you want that is going to make that money. So if you start to walk it backwards, um, I, I don't think it's hard to see. And, and, and frankly, the research shows young people as early as kindergarten start to develop sense of themselves and others and what's possible. Right? There's a reason when you, this is a great study, and I'm going to butcher it, but when you put certain technical jobs or math heavy jobs in front of young girls at an early age, they shy away. Not because they don't have the ability, but there has been things societally and otherwise that have told them, oh, those aren't for me. Those aren't the kinds of jobs I can do. It's 100% incumbent on organizations like JA and our partners to disabuse young girls of that notion and say, no, 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 you can. You're actually really great at math. And here's the different types of jobs you can do um, with that skill. So what do you think... um when you, when you think about that dynamic and helping young people better connect with what, what the opportunities are, uh, what are we missing about the, the ecosystem that exists right now uh, in, in preparing and better preparing kids to think about their futures in this way and prepare for their futures in this way? I think there's a lot in that question there, Grant. Um, so I would say- Lots least, of opportunity to go in different directions. I was going to so say, pick, yeah, yeah. So pick wow. one. All right, this is yeah. choose your own adventure. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. 
One of the things that I would suggest is the connective tissue. I think there are a lot of great people in organizations doing really important and quality work that is data driven, that, that has been measured, that is um, creating the outcomes we want. Um, but we're all limited by capacity, whether public, private or, or NGOs. And so in some ways, do we all know what the others are doing and are able to create warm handoffs so that we all continue to do the things we do well? But what often happens in the NGO and social sector is you you chase money, so you start to do things that perhaps are not in your wheelhouse, but mm. allow you to get some extra funding. When in fact, it was probably someone down the street who was doing that really well in, in their silo. So again, I think there's a lot there, but to me, I think there's a connective tissue for that ecosystem that is needed. Because I don't, again, I don't think it's talent and I don't think it's people with will and, 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 and interest in doing it. I, in some ways, I think it's, um, the organization of it uh, and the communication within it. I want to come back uh, for a moment to the, and thank you for choosing that answer to the pick your own adventure. I, I, I think that's, I, I actually, I actually think that the, the notion of who your partners are is part of the evolving story of, of the work you're doing through junior achievement and being more community focused means you work with more and different partners than you used to. But let's come back to the kids because they're the they're the point of the exercise. And you are one of the things that I admire that you're doing is thinking. And we talked about this in the context of foster youth earlier. But you're thinking about how to reach out to communities and kids that typically don't get this kind of assistance. Tell us about what is challenging about that and how you overcome it. Well, one I think is uh, is meeting the young people where they are, and that's the challenge for us. It, that's not a challenge for them. That's a challenge for us it, that we have to meet, and that's ensuring, uh, one, that we're committed. And I know that sounds like a, a simple thing, but what I would suggest is I think so often we get a grant or we get some money, we go into a community, we do some work, and in two years we're gone. Right. We can't do that. Yeah. We got to be there for these young people. We have to not be there because we got just, some money. You just described about 50 years of nonprofit intervention. So that that is actually a very typical story. And, and I think so So our first uh, key part, and I would say um, some of the work that we're doing, we committed to it in our operational budget with no money. Mm -hmm. We didn't go get a grant. We said that this is what we're going to do. And we ended up getting money for it. And we're grateful to that. But we're committed to doing it. And that also means that we're going to hire staff that are representative of, of the young people that we serve. We're going to be intentional. We're not going to hire the, the first person. We're going to hire the best person to connect with these young people because I think building trust is important. Uh, and so I guess I would flip it when you said what is hard about the, or what are the challenges? I, what are the challenges? I, I wouldn't. I want to be clear that these are all important things that have to be done. So mm -hmm. I, there are less challenges, but I think it's part of the process that makes it in some ways time consuming. Mm -hmm. But but I wouldn't call them challenges because I think they're really important. In some ways, challenges are things to be overcome. These right. are things that need to be done. Right. It just takes time and effort, um, and I think it's well worth it. So all of those things, if, we, if we're honest with ourselves about what we think we need to be impactful, we got to do those things, and that takes time. Um, and, and it has, but we've seen the fruits um, in, in a short period of time, the fruits of that, that labor. Um, so... Again, I wouldn't I wouldn't characterize it a challenge as much as 
the the hard things that need to be done to be as impactful as we can yeah, be. And I and I really appreciate that distinction because I think it's important. You know, my personal experience of the kids that you're working with, I had the opportunity to spend some time with you and some graduates of one of your programs, a short, I believe it was a shorter in, intervention that you had. No, that was the longer. Oh, one. that was the longer. A hundred. Okay. So uh, if yeah. I'll yeah. share, please. It, it, yeah, was, please. Um, it was at Lincoln high school in Southeast yeah. San Diego. And, and it was a program in which we were embedded there. So yeah. thanks to the great leadership of the principals at Lincoln high school, we have a course code at San Diego unified and literally are with the young people for 120 hours. It's like, any other class. We were with them for an entire school year, yeah. every day for about an hour to an hour and a half, every single day of the school year. That intervention, that 120 hours of instruction doesn't even include the paid internship that comes with it. Right. Um, but that program is is intensive. And I think I experienced it as short because I was only there for an afternoon <laughs> and, and, uh, and it flew by because the kids were so, the young people were so impressive. They... Uh, spoke pretty eloquently about what it was that they wanted to do. They had a surprising range of, of career interests. They talked about things that I never imagined talking about when I was in high school, including how they would manage their money and what they were thinking about that. I wasn't on my radar when I was in, in high school. Tell us, tell us what the... Um, give us an idea what the most gratifying interventions have been for you that that exemplify the work for you. You know, I think it, it's, uh, and, and I'll give you an anecdote, but but I, I, overall, I think it is the the light bulbs that go off, and it's not necessarily in the clarity of what I want to be, but in the clarity that I need to think about this if I want this life that I want. And so I need to explore this or I need to go to college or I need to, you know, Grant, some of us still don't know what we want to be when we grow up. <laughs> yes, and, uh, yeah. and so that is not the goal of the exercise as much as it is to encourage and empower young people with the tools mm -hmm. and a vision of I know that this is important. So let me go down these roads. For some of them, they'll know exactly what they want to do. For others, it's a sense of belonging and purpose. And, and that leads me to this anecdote. We had a young lady who got an eight week, uh, six week internship that we connected her with at Vertex Pharmaceuticals. Wanted to go into science, didn't necessarily want to go into pharmacology, but over the eight, uh, six, six weeks there, um, she had an amazing experience. And when we talked to the staff there, they said, oh, Le Leslie's amazing. And I won't use her last name, but Leslie's amazing. And she did a whole project on, on a piece of, of the pharmacology cycle and how a drug discovery gets from there to, to market. Um, but that's not what was most interesting to her. And what she said was most interesting is they gave me a job, which was to make sure that the conference room was stocked and booked and ensured that as they had meetings there, it was going to be ready and prepared. And it's a job she could do very easily, mm -hmm. but it was a real job that was needed because their office manager did that job. And the office manager said, hey, can you help me with this? Can you do this part? I usually do this when you're not here. Right. And she left saying, like, I felt a part of the team. I felt like I belonged. Mm. I wasn't just here as a charity case. I wasn't just here because J.A. said that we, we, you need to take interns. I was here to do a job, and I own that job. And she got a, a sense of purpose there that it, it, in a large publicly traded pharmaceutical company, 
that she said, oh, man, I could do this. And it might not be as as uh, a Ph.D. who's doing drug discovery. It might be as the office manager or in another role or in marketing or in HR. But she saw herself in a place that, frankly, she hadn't been to that Tory Mesa where all those life science companies are. She had never been there before. Mm-hmm. She lives in southeast San Diego. It's less than 20 miles from South Lincoln High School to that area. And yet it's a world away. Mm-hmm. That opportunity, so th- that experience was more than just the job. It was the sense of purpose and belonging that it provided. And, and I said I had one, but I-, I got another one. We had some interns at JA. We, we took some as well. Uh, again, nonprofit, it, we-, we-, we placed them all over the place. Some of them really want to come see w- what makes a nonprofit work, which whole different podcast, but we still run a business. We're 501c3 is just a tax treatment, um, but we still operate a business. So we always help young people understand that, yes, while we're a nonprofit, this is doesn't mean you operate any differently uh, other than our mission is more yeah. focused. Um, yeah, people forget that nonprofit is just a tax status, but you still have to run a successful operation. W- which is why when young people come and say, I want to work at a nonprofit, I say, well, what do you really want to do? That, right. that, that, that doesn't tell me anything right. that, you know, um, this young lady came and worked with us, and the second week there, she came into my office and she said, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. And I said, oh, what? I didn't do anything. Um, we had given her a, a, a jasandiego.org email address. And she said, I've never had a work email address. Mm. This, like, once again, this makes me feel like I'm a part of the team. Like you guys gave me, you guys could send me emails. I got to set up my signature. There are little things. They're they're big and small, but they don't have to be massive experiences with young people who are uh, developing new drugs. It's about helping young people see themselves in their future, see that they belong, that they're contributors, and that they can have a place is a huge part of what we do at an early age. I think that we have an amazing partners, the community college districts and, and our um, higher ed partners will help with the technical ability, but we don't even get our young people there if they don't see themselves. How many are applying for higher ed if they don't know where that's gonna lead them and how they fit? Right. You've, uh, you were, you've anticipated the next question I was gonna ask you, which was about how you see your role in building belonging in the community. That's a primary value for us as a foundation is to think about how we encourage a society where everybody feels like they belong and that they can contribute in significant ways and pursue their purpose and their passion in life and gain from that. That's basically what we all want. Uh, and and is your those two anecdotes are lovely and they tell the story of of people who are finding their sense of belonging in our very complicated society and city. Do you find that that's common for the students that you work with and young people that you work with? I think like, like a lot of things, it depends. It depends yeah. on where you live. Mm. Um, in some cases, it depends on the color of your skin mm. or how you identify. I think some feel it. And and some don't. But I'm 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 thinking more about is it a common experience for people going through your program? Do they is is this window onto work an avenue for belonging for them? I think it is. And 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 again, anecdotally, and and with some of the the outcomes that we're seeing, uh, they know. And this goes back to the the 
the knowledge and and frankly the the maturity of our young people that we often discount or or underestimate. Mm-hmm. Um, they know that they're in school now, but they're going to have to go to work. They understand that they have to make a living. Right. The challenge is they don't know how. They don't know what that necessarily looks like, but they're not avoiding it. Oftentimes, when you hear kids and like, I don't know, I don't know what I want to do when I graduate high school. That's almost more that they're afraid. They're unsure. It doesn't mean that they don't think it matters. It's just they don't know what's next. And so in a lot of ways, your career, your profession, in some ways, it's not even the job. It's your competencies that happen to align with something. But, you know, whether it's, gosh, I am a creative. I love to be creative. That can look a lot of different ways. But uh, if they start to focus on how they in some ways, make that a part of their future economy, their own personal mm-hmm. economy. Um, that is a sense of belonging because now you see what it's, I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Um, most of them know they're not going to be in school for the rest of their lives. Right. So, so I do think uh, helping them see beyond that. I mean, really, when you think about it, even if you say 18 years plus four in college, uh, and even if you add grad school, it's still a, a fraction of your overall life. Whether they talk about it or vocalize it, they know that. And I think helping them see that sooner provides them not just clarity for the future, but inspiration for the present. You know, I was in a in a conversation the other day with um, and, and, and one of the young people in the conversation said, you know, my generation has been sold a bill of goods about college, about getting in massive debt, uh, about what it takes to be successful and having a satisfying life. Is any of that conversation surfacing with your folks in in junior achievement? Uh, Hugely. Um, And I I will nine times out of 10 side with our young people in saying, you know, they have every right to ask that question. Mm -hmm. Many of them are going to college, and especially if you come from a family that can't afford to pay for it all, which, by the way, based on the cost of college is most folks, Mm -hmm. you're leaving with a significant amount of debt that in some cases can be crippling. And we Mm -hmm. talk about debt, not just college debt, which is is generally considered good debt, um, but we talk about debt as, in some cases, um, a barrier for a FICO score, which that you then need to get a house, mm. right? In some cases now, a lot of jobs are actually doing credit checks. So if you if that that doesn't go right early in your career, and then that might prevent future employment. So young people saying, hey, you told me that all I had to do was go to college and everything will be okay, and it's not. I don't think it's so bad that they're asking that question. To me, that suggests an awareness from them and I think an onus on us as adults to say, yeah, okay, what went wrong in this process? Because I think the data would suggest they're not far from the truth. Uh, I I don't know that we sold it to them, but that's certainly societally, (laughs) I mean, I don't think they're wrong with the outcome. So one answer to this that I hear a lot about is that we create more pathways into jobs that are not necessarily about college. And in fact, the governor, just uh, Governor Newsom, just came out with a policy to try and free up opportunities in the state of California for students who don't follow that traditional path. And many will follow that traditional path and, and should, so I want to acknowledge that too. But I think what we're seeing is a desire to, to open up other pathways as well. You have to remain agnostic about them because you don't know what 
an individual kid will want to do as they as they grow up. So what else do we need to do to prepare kids for those choices? So one, again, I would also like to suggest, especially to my children, if they're listening, that college is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily that college is bad or that people shouldn't go. But I think it is fair for all young people to evaluate their personal situations and take into account the economics of the decisions that they make. That's ultimately what we what we try to do. From a JA standpoint, as we think about pathways, and you you rightly noted it, Grant, we are agnostic. We, we don't do uh, STEM-specific programming. We don't do advanced manufacturing-specific programming. But what we think is important are young people understanding how to write a resume and how to network, how to think critically, how to work in teams and communicate compellingly. Those, we believe, are the mm -hmm. kinds of the historically soft skills that are transferable regardless of the job. It, I think there's a lot of really smart folks out there who are going to figure out tomorrow's jobs. It, it, I don't think that that's our role. But what we are hearing from our corporate partners is there's a base level of competencies we need everybody to have, whether mm -hmm. you're over here or over there. And so that's where we think our role is, is not to identify the pathways as much as keep our finger on what are the competencies that are needed across pathways. And again, I would say we're really far upstream. I think our colleges and universities and community college systems and trade school systems do a really good job of training folks for, for specific things. Who I'm concerned about are the young people who may be really great at genomics, but don't see themselves in it. And because of economics or other reasons, they don't even go to school to get that degree. They don't even know. And that happens as early as middle school and high school. So that, that's where we kind of play. But we think mm -hmm. that the pathway piece is an important thing that we, we always review and we always look at. But we are agnostic. You know, you used the analogy earlier, I think, about um, light bulbs going on in, in young minds. And partly what you're trying to do is, is help young people see that there are many different things they could be and many different pathways to get there. There are just certain basics that they've got to master regardless of what that is. That sounds so simple, <laughs> and and yet it's so involved. And I'm I'm curious as you think about how this work is being done in San Diego. What is our biggest opportunity that we need to move into next? I think there's several, but I, uh, one I I always defer, and as somebody who who. Uh, is in this space, I would tell you our biggest opportunity are the young people we're producing, candidly. Mm. Um, how we leverage them is really what we're talking about here because they want to be here and they want to work. And, and candidly, they, like most of us as adults, want to make money to provide for our families and give our, our families a good future. But um, so they are the opportunity in my mind, the biggest opportunity. But I also think we've got a, a tremendous community of NGOs and corporate partners. Uh, I think, I actually think we, we are ripe in, in some cities where there's a lot more um, territorialism or, or parochialism. I think we, we have the opportunity with players um, across the space who see this as an opportunity. And I think um, not just the Prebis Foundation, but organizations like um, the EDC bringing folks together to say, hey, this is not just about growing the economy, but it's got to be about growing it inclusively for right. all. And I, and I think that 
I'm very optimistic because I see all of the players out there and, and I see the will and, and the interest. And I think it's pulling it all together that becomes the becomes the opportunity. Yeah, part of what I really appreciate about you, Sid, is your optimism. Uh, and I and I appreciate also you calling out the potential for collaboration around this work in San Diego, which I do think is a huge Huge opportunity, but I, I, I especially like your notion around um, that the kids themselves are the opportunity. And it is true that if we're going to grow the economy, we have to do it inclusively. That is the actually only way, only way we can do it. Um, and if we want to fulfill the human potential of all these kids in our community, then we, the logical place is to start with them. So I really appreciate what you're doing. I, I, I'm looking at you and wondering, is there anything I've forgotten to ask you about that you wish we would have talked about? No, no. I, we, we just appreciate the, the Prebus Foundation's uh, continued support throughout the uh, economy and throughout our community. Um, it's You are one of those players, uh, I think, in many ways. And, and we will all inform the work, and we all have a role to play. Well, Sid, thank you so much for coming by the studio. I, uh, I've enjoyed this conversation, uh, as I always do with you, and uh, I, I very much appreciate the work you're doing in the community on behalf of young people, so thank you. Thank you, Grant. appreciate it. Okay, as we wrap up this conversation with Sid, there are a few things that spring out for me and that I hope uh, will, will resonate for all of us. One of the most important was actually in the question I asked him about what he has learned as, a, as a, being a dad and how that translates into his work at Junior Achievement. And he answered in a way that I thought was really great because he, he talked also about what he's learned from Junior Achievement and being a dad. But the the core thing was uh, having an understanding that it's easy to imagine telling our kids what to do, but in a rapidly changing world that looks nothing like the world that existed when Junior Achievement was founded, uh, we also have to understand that our kids have a lot to offer, and they see a lot of things, even at a young age, that maybe adults don't. So this idea of granting grace to our kids maybe should be the theme for this entire conversation. From there, I think, you know, we talked about the idea that programs designed to build the inclusive economy of tomorrow are necessary because of this notion that talent is equally dispersed in our society, but opportunity is not. We have to open up doors of opportunity for everybody so we can genuinely leverage the talent that exists in our community and exists in our kids. And that creates not only pathways to success for them and fulfillment to them, but also pathways to success for our community and for our economy. A key to that that Sid pointed out is that we have to help kids see what they want to be. He said, you got, you, see it, do it, be it, was his shorthand for that, or you got to see it to be it. And here is a notion that sometimes escapes people if they've never encountered this. But if you've never heard about a certain type of job, or you've never seen somebody who looks like you doing that job, 
the odds that you will ever become interested in that job or even know it exists are next to nil. And I think what Sid and Junior Achievement are trying to do is open up our young people's eyes to the many opportunities that can and should exist for them. We also talked about how important it is in this work as it's evolving now to do it with others. I I think there is a core notion that is happening with Sid and his work that it has to be embedded in community, that it can no longer just be in partnership with one or two institutions. He still talked about the importance of partnering with schools, and that's powerful, but also partnering with community organizations and understanding what community really needs and offers is a key to the success of, a, of an effort like this. And I appreciate his putting on the table, you can't do it alone. Then finally, a couple of other things that, that came up. Uh, his idea that the hard work of connecting young people with an understanding of what it will take to succeed in a job, whatever that job is, should not be viewed as a challenge, but as doing what's necessary. You know, he, he, he countered my question about the challenges that they're facing by saying these are not challenges, this is just the work. And I actually appreciate that distinction because sometimes we describe things as challenges in a way that excuses are not doing them or are not succeeding at them. And we actually need in our culture to embrace more of the spirit that Sid embodied in his answer by saying, no, this is the work and this is what we have to do for our kids. And finally, that's where I'd wrap up, is he really said something, a mouthful, that was important for all of us who think about the future of this community. He said about the kids, they are the opportunity. And I I loved hearing those words because that is really the truth about doing this kind of work. His anecdotes about the young people who went into experience what it's like in the working world and feel a sense of being on the team and a sense of belonging, um, that is magnificent. But core to that is that we believe in them and that we believe they are the opportunity for the world we want to create. And I certainly walked away from this conversation feeling what he talked about, which is a sense of optimism that we can do that. Thanks for listening. Join us next time and please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast. Stop and Talk is a project of the Conrad Prebis Foundation. It is produced by Crystal Page and Adam Greenfield. It is engineered by Adam Greenfield and recorded in the Voice of San Diego Studios. Thanks again.